0: Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So we're going Old Testament. Here we go. Zephaniah. All right. I think this is a book that probably no one in the whole church has ever heard talked about, let alone most of them probably haven't read it.
1: Yeah, I actually did Zephaniah. I did all
0: the minor prophets one per week in my youth group way back. So you did like an overview real quick of each, like one per week. So you just did Zephaniah for one week. Yep. Nice. Just
1: kind of tried to hit the main idea. I called the the series God Speaks because God talks to his people and has a message for them.
0: And, and that's that would, a cool youth yeah. group message. So, I wish you go. could go back in time and be in your youth group.
1: Yeah. Well, I got all the outlines, so I'll just
0: hand them to you. We can. It's done. Look at that. <laughs> all right. Well, Pastor Alex and I are going to talk about Zephaniah one. And to dive in, let me just give you a couple of verses that I think are going to be relevant to the conversation we're going to have. Uh, verse one: The word of the of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Dun, 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 dun. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, and that's all we have.
0: Uh, yeah, and then near the end, I, some of the things that are interesting to me is, moreover, their gold and their silver will not be able to save them on the day of the wrath of Yahweh. And in the day of fire of his zeal, the whole land shall be consumed for a terrifying end he shall make for all the inhabitants of the land. And then there's this wonderful little verse uh, near the middle of the book that just says, uh, they will call out on that day and I will not answer, which I think is very, very interesting. Hmm. So we've got some judgment coming. We're going to talk a lot about judgment. So in order to dive into that, let's, let's talk a little bit about the time frame for Zephaniah. So, there's a ton of debate about this. We don't necessarily want to get into the debate. I think both of us are probably going to take the route here that Zephaniah was likely written when it says it was written. Is that accurate in your mind or yeah, in the well, or do in, we want to have the debate about when it was written?
1: No, no, no I think I think the debate is in the days of Josiah, so Josiah is the reforming king, yes, right? Was this early enough in his reign that his reforms hadn't really started or taken effect or was this like concurrent, like as those reforms were happening, because there's, there's a little bit of like Josiah seems to be turning things around and he's Uh getting rid of idol worship and he's this good King. And, but then Zephaniah's message is still pretty doom and gloom. So did Zephaniah give his doom and gloom message? Josiah heard that and turned things around or was Josiah already turning things around, but then Zephaniah, despite what seems to be repentance mm-hmm. and turning things around? Zephaniah still is like, yeah, the day of the Lord is coming.
0: Yeah, that's the question we're going to deal with. So let's let's anchor it in the in the timeline here. So Josiah rules somewhere around 640 BC to about 609 BC, and his reforms start around 621. BC is that what you have do mm-hmm. you have access to that 621 so if you think about that he's reigning for almost 20 years before his reforms start to kick in and I think one of the things I, I do want to talk about in this episode is what are what are even the reforms what did that look like and so if you've never read uh, this section of second Kings I, I would recommend you go there uh, dive into it a little bit think about it read what what he's doing because what 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 uh, I almost said Hezekiah but what Josiah is doing here is he's observing what's happening in the land and he the, if you remember the text says they find a a book of the law as they're reforming the temple so he mm-hmm. looks at the temple and realizes it's getting kind of shabby needs an upgrade you know the, new, the parking lot needs to get re- repaved. Yeah, a little bit more than that. Oh, okay, yeah, way more than that. Yeah. But if you think about the idea of looking at a shabby old building saying, hey, we need to upgrade this building, we need to make it look good, and then the process of that is they do the remodel, they find the book of the law, they read it, and he is so broken by the fact that they are not observing what the law says it's supposed to be. So he tells everybody, let's, let's repent, let's... Let's go before the Lord and say we're not going to do this anymore. And that's in the 621 right. B.C. range.
1: Right, But isn't that isn't that crazy? Yes. Like, they don't have totally. the book of the law. They have the temple, and nobody knows what it's there for. Nobody knows what they're doing. And then they find Now, granted, it's not like they had the printing press, so there were like Bibles all over the place. But you would think that in the temple, the book of the law would be like a really important thing. Like, oh, look what we found. <laughs> yeah. What? There's stuff in here about how we should live in God's covenant with us?
0: Yeah, and it shows you just how broken Israel is at the time of Josiah. For a king to say, hey, we should probably follow the law that the Lord gave us, that seems pretty second nature. And I think part of the reason why we're even bringing this up is I think most people read the Old Testament and they just assume that the Jews followed God all the way through. Right. And we're showing you right now, the text itself says nobody was doing these things. Uh, In fact... Josiah's dad and then grandfather were two of the worst kings that Judah has. Right, Ammon and then and then uh, Manasseh. These guys are messed up. They they are brutal kings. And on top of that, what's interesting is both of those kings made deals with Assyria and with Egypt to serve their own purposes. And so both of them ended up getting vastly rich because of what they they have, which is why I read that last verse. Their gold and their silver will not save them. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of this idea that Israel has sold itself out to the nations, and in in so doing, God's like, you don't understand. They don't bring you your peace. They don't bring you your hope. I will give it to you. Will you let me be the one that brings you the hope and the peace or not?
1: Right. It really pushes back on the prosperity gospel where – you know their wealth and the the king and the nation become wealthy and you think like oh that must be success because god is blessing them with wealth no they're they're financially successful because they sold out to the the enemies and not just not just in trusting them for protection but allowing their allowing syncretism with their religion
0: yeah so that would have been like a seal of the treaty and for the average person in israel it's possible that they actually had prospered and in- in his dad's reign or his grandfather's reign. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that most of the people in the nation are looking around going, everything's great for us. Why in the world would anything bad happen to us? This is the thing. Yet, if you're looking at it with a spiritual lens, right? If you're looking at it with spiritual glasses on, you go, Oh my goodness, we aren't doing what we're supposed to do. On top of that, then back to your point from the beginning of the podcast Josiah begins these reforms in 621 so I think one of the questions we don't have to have an answer to it but we're bringing it up here on the podcast for people to process did Zephaniah give this information to Josiah and Josiah takes it and makes the reforms come out of it or you know is this is Zephaniah giving a message to Josiah and his people that even though they're reforming they're probably not going to stick with it forever and judgment's still going to come and we don't have an answer for that, yeah. but it's one of the questions that scholars are wrestling over.
1: Yeah. When I read uh, most, what I read said most scholars think it predates the reforms of 621. Sure. And therefore the message is a call to repentance that they do. But I think as we've kind of walked through it, and there's a little bit of internal evidence in the text, like in four in where it says, I will... I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal Mm -hmm. or Baal in the name of the idolized priest, along with the priestess. The remnant, why would there be a remnant Mm -hmm. unless Josiah had already become, had already started his reforms? And and, and Zephaniah is saying that. Exactly. He's going to finish them off. So I don't know, like you said, I don't think there's a clear answer to this, and we're not really sure. And it's not really going to drive the message of the book. But yeah, it kind of makes you wonder is. Is Zephaniah preaching this and Josiah listens? Uh, and maybe, you know, we can talk about the potential relationship that these two guys yep. had together. Or was did Zephaniah come in in the middle of these reforms and say, Hey, I know you're working hard here, Josiah, but it's not going to last.
0: Yeah. And either one of those messages is true. Right. It's also possible that he could be speaking before the reform start and still telling the truth about what's going to happen in the future. I mean, prophets right seems to have, often that they have dreams or they have visions that give them access to the future that maybe doesn't make total sense to them at the time, but they just sort of preach this message and they do their thing. Yeah, so let's talk about the relationship potentially. So, you know, I read that first verse. We've got Zephaniah. His his dad's name is, is Cushi or, or Cushi, uh, which is... You just pronounced
1: the same word twice. You just said
0: Cushi well, or Cushi. It, well, it's it's either cushy or cushy do you see what i'm saying there's a slight slight accent depending on where you go there but he you know there's some debate about what does that mean is this is this a man from the land of cush which is in Mm -hmm. ethiopia we don't know there's no telling of that it could suggest that maybe zephaniah's family is is mixed race at some point Mm -hmm. we don't know uh then he's got you know the rest of the dads so you know i'm gonna go with cushy so cushy gedalia Uh, or Gadaliah would be another way to say that, Amariah, and then Hezekiah. Well, the question is, is that King Hezekiah? Yeah, that's a good question. Or is that a normal name in Israel? And we know that it is a fairly normal name in Israel. It's also strange that it doesn't say the son of King Hezekiah. Right. So we go, maybe it's not the king. But if it is the king, Hezekiah is also Josiah's you know, great great grandfather or whatever. Right. So there's this element of okay, if it is if it is relation to Josiah, if that's the king, if, if King Hezekiah has a son named Amariah, which we have no access to that in the, in the text. So this is why we're all kind of speculating here. But let's say that that's the same Hezekiah. Let's say that Hezekiah has Josiah's you know dad and grandfather or whatever, and then Amariah is actually one of Hezekiah's kids. It's possible that these two are end up. Their cousins, right, fourth cousins, so to speak. It's clear that Zephaniah is a member of the aristocracy. He's—it's clear that he's got access to the the higher people, uh, which means you know he's running with the the big priests, the big prophets, everybody else in, in the city of Jerusalem. So it's very possible that they are cousins, and maybe they grew up together, right? And to mm-hmm. some extent, maybe Zephaniah is being overwhelmed by what he's seeing, and he's telling these messages. And Josiah goes, whoa, what is that all about? And then they find the book of of the law and they go, whoa, we're not doing any of this. That totally makes sense. Or, you know, Zephaniah's great, what would that be? Father, grandfather, great-grandfather. So great-great-grandfather is Hezekiah, but it's not the Hezekiah that's the king. It's just some random guy. Well, and
1: and it probably isn't a random guy because if he's mentioned, especially mentioned as the last one, that's kind of the anchor that Zephaniah uses, you know, it's not just like, oh, we're going to go back four generations of random guy. It's like, oh, I need to mention right. this guy who's four generations back. So let me trace all the way back to that four. So that makes me think he's important, but I'm su- I would be surprised if this was King Hezekiah mm-hmm. because I think Zephaniah would make mention of that, especially because he calls Josiah King of Judah. Yeah, And so... I I think it's gotta be someone important, someone that at their time they're gonna say, Yeah, this is uh this is an important guy, we know him, but probably not King Hezekiah.
0: Sure. And I'm I'm good either way. It's just an but, interesting thing to kind yeah, of throw in here.
1: Yeah, that I mean that is an interesting connection because if they were connected, like you have a prophet and a king working together and maybe you have that anyway. Yeah. Regardless of if they grew up together or were sure. friends or any or family. But when you have a prophet and a king working together, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big combo for ruling or
0: governance or political strategy mm-hmm. in that day. Yeah, there's a famous prophet and king in the New Testament that are cousins. So yeah, John the Baptist and Jesus and mm, Jesus, uh, kind of a big deal. So <clears throat> I. So with that in mind, let's 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 move into the idea of what's going on. So like I said, Manasseh and Amman are making these these deals with various nations. They've made treaties with Egypt. They've made treaties with, with Babylon and with Assyria. They have used these treaties to become wealthy on their own. Uh-huh. They've they've become emboldened in the world that they kind of just expect everybody's gonna do what they ask them to do. We have access to how bad it got with Manasseh, Manasseh took one of his sons and threw him in the fire. It says to Molech, mm-hmm. which is, uh, one of the ancient Canaanite gods. And what that God expected was that you would throw your son in the fire, which is just brutal to think about taking your child and sacrificing them. So it's clearly a really, really bad situation, which is why Zephaniah one is such a heavy chapter, which it is. And you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, when you experience the sermon, you're going to go, Whoa, I don't know if I like this. At the same time, <clears throat> there is there's something beautiful that's going to come out of the book. But part of what I I, I want to wrestle with as we sort of end this episode is, God deserves whatever he wants. Like God can do whatever he wants to do, and whatever he sends our way, w- we deserve it, right? If mm-hmm. if if he wants to give us judgment, he's going to do so in a righteous way. If he sends something that's going to curse us in some way, he has every right to do so because he's God. It's actually a mercy that he doesn't curse us as much as we deserve, or he doesn't give mm-hmm. us all that we deserve, so one of the things that God's going to do throughout especially this part of the Old Testament as we're moving toward the end of of the nation of Judah in this case uh you know at the time of this writing, Israel, the southern kingdom or sorry the northern kingdom, had already been destroyed by the Assyrians for at least eighty years at the time that Josiah becomes king and then if we're talking about the reforms, that's almost a hundred years after after Israel's destroyed Mm -hmm. so all that's left is the southern kingdom the nation of of judah as we call it and josiah reforms are going to come out of him but this message of of zephaniah here is it doesn't really matter what happens there's so much dirtiness that it's not going to fix what we've got going on and we deserve everything that's coming to us and i think one of the things that i would love to wrestle with you real quick is God uses Babylon to do this thing. He used Assyria to wipe out Israel, and it's possible that some people in Israel at the time of Assyria would have said, "Well, this isn't God's judgment. This is just a mighty nation coming in to wipe us out." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I could imagine some people saying, "Well, this isn't really God's judgment. This is Babylon. They're not." But what I find interesting is these prophets don't have any problems saying, "No, God is going to use that nation." to bring the judgment that he wants to bring about, which is pretty heavy. And then it also starts to make us think, if, if we're gonna be honest with ourselves, while we look at things like what's happening in the Middle East right now, or we look at the world in general, I think sometimes we think, man, I really hope humans can figure this out. But there's way bigger players going on, and there's there's mm-hmm. something that God is doing this and as we can't always see. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think with like God using these other nations, um, you know, it's it's really interesting to put yourself in the mindset of these are God's people who assume that they are God's people because of their ethnic heritage. And then these evil nations are coming and conquering them. And not to say, I don't, I don't want to, I just want to help us yeah. get in the mindset exactly. of what that would feel like without doing one-to-one correlation. But it's like when we see nations that are not following God, like, political governments like for mm-hmm. example the nine eleven attacks were like oh this is in a nation that does not follow yahweh that is actually this group at least the organization al-qaeda and isis and all that are muslim mm-hmm. and they're attacking america whether you know whatever you think about america as a christian nation i'm not trying to dig into that but sure. just to say like we're being attacked and it's these these evil people it's like oh well this is not you know god working this is those evil people doing evil things and like and I'm not saying that's what this was, but just to get us in the mindset yep. of how the people that are hearing Zephaniah would hear this. It's like, yeah, these evil nations are coming to attack us. And Zephaniah kind of points points out that like they, in in chapter 1, 14, it says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men who are complacent, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Yep. just kind of this like God's not really working. He's not really moving. And sometimes he is. And sometimes he's even using evil people in the world to to bring discipline to his own people yes and i think that's a crazy concept that like so much even you know can can you make the connection that even like the church today is pushed on by different social and political organizations that do not follow god that are anti-god and then we think like oh how how could this happen you know why Why is this happening? And like, maybe God is trying to teach us something through it. Mm-hmm. Like, He's Maybe these are his characters and his actors to, to teach us where our hearts are at. It's just a hard concept. It's hard to really— It's totally hard. And it's hard to discern when is God using them to teach us and when is just evil attacking God's people.
0: Yeah. And I think I would like that to be our approach as we go into Zephaniah, and then we're going to turn to Habakkuk at the beginning of next year— just for us to, to be cautious and to be humble and say, often when we read this, we're going to think, how could the Israelites have gotten it so wrong? Why would they not have served Yahweh? And what you and I and the rest of the church and everyone else that's hearing this need to think about is, are there areas in your life that you deserve the kind of judgment that's coming to Israel? Mm-hmm. How have we grown complacent? How are we thinking, well, God's not going to do good or evil. He just is going to do whatever he's going to do. That's not how this works. He's God's got an agenda, something much bigger than you and I can possibly imagine. And we as people need to just come before him and go, "Okay, I'm going to put my hope in the right thing and the right mm-hmm. person." I think sometimes we 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 do look at the status of the world right now and we think, "Well, I think I know exactly what's going on and what it means." You know, I'm hearing prophecy experts go crazy right now with what they think is going to happen. Yeah. 3 months from now, we might all go, "Oh, that was a false alarm." Yeah. Didn't happen at all. Or this might be the beginning of what God's going to do to ultimately bring the end. I don't know, and you don't either. Uh, We're not prophets. We're not having these experiences that Zephaniah is having. But Zephaniah had them, and everything Zephaniah says and does comes true. So so we need to sit underneath the text and let the text do its job and show us God does have a plan. He does uh, accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And even though the people don't think you know God's gonna do anything no God's gonna do whatever he's gonna do yep he's got he's got a plan that's gonna work